Hello, bookworms. Welcome to The Best Book Ever, the podcast where I get to know interesting people by asking them about their favorite books. I'm your host, Julie Strauss. Now, y'all already know how I feel about talking to booksellers. I personally believe they are doing the Lord's work. Today, I'm talking to a Queens-based bookseller with a unique mission for his shop and an infectious love of books. Join me as I talk to Adrian Cepeda of Golden Lab Bookshop about why the literary classic 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez is the best book ever. Hi, Adrian. Welcome to the Best Book Ever podcast. Hi, Julie. Thank you so much. Adrian, tell me about your bookstore. The, the store is named the Golden Lab Bookshop. Um, it's in Astoria, Queens right now. And we're hoping to expand it more in Queens. Um, it's called the Golden Lab Bookshop because it's after, named after my dog. It's my first <laughs> dog. He is a Golden Labrador Retriever. I couldn't think of anything better than people love more, books and dogs. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I love cats too, but I had a dog at the time. So <laughs> it's named after him, Golden Lab Bookshop. Golden um, Lab Bookshop. And what makes us a little different than a lot of other bookshops is that I primarily focus on BIPOC voices. So Black, Indigenous people of color and their stories. And that is how it's set up in the store. So it's Latinx lit, API lit, Black literature, and it's set up like that. European literature, it's set up by region for the author, not by genres or things like that. So what made you decide that that was your goal for the bookstore? What made you organize it like that? So it starts off in college. Um, When I was in my last year of college, I was in a class and I read The Wonder's Life of Oscar Wilde by Juan Odias. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time in all my life. And I was an avid reader since I was a child. My mom made sure of it. It was the first time in my life that I felt I was represented in a book. And not because I didn't feel myself represented in other ones. I just never came to mind like, oh, this main character is of Latinx ascent. He's chunky, like I was when I was younger, into superheroes. And that made me realize, oh, there's, there's, if, it's, if this is happening to me, I'm sure there's many other people who can't find books that they relate to because of what we're fed in, in school. We just get the same books over and over again. So that's what made me decide, let me organize it by this. So if someone comes into this shop, they can see themselves represented in books in a way that I had never seen before like in Barnes and Noble, which is with the primarily where I used to go and like in libraries and things like that. What has the response from your community been like? Overwhelmingly good. It's been amazing. Um, um, it, it's been, it's shocking to me how great it's been because one, the best response I ever get is two responses. One, I'd rather buy from you than Amazon, which is fantastic. And the second one is I love how you've curated the books. I love that this is happening. And another one, which is very important to me and happens to me a lot in TikTok is teachers reaching out to me and saying, thank you so much because they get these set lists of books that they need to teach every year, especially like in grade school. And they want to offer recommendations for their students. And they're able to do that because of the recs I give or the curated ones that I have on my website. And it's easier for them, especially like high school, and middle school teachers. And that one to me means the most to me to get that respect from teachers. That's incredible. So I do curate every book that's in there. And before any book that gets placed into the shop, 
I've either read it and I've read most of them or um, I've done heavy research on it. Okay. Heavy, heavy research on the book to make sure that it's good to be there and that it won't offend anyone in the community and that it's diverse or inclusive. Um, and I do have bestsellers that aren't from BIPOC authors still in there um, yeah. because people always want those new, the new books that are coming out. So I do have them in there. It's just that every book that does get curated in my shop is heavily, heavily researched beforehand. Here's a really philosophical question for you. What is the role of a bookstore for a community? Why should we shop at an indie bookstore instead of you know who? The I think the main reason is that is the center of the community, the most important center of the community where you can expand your knowledge of the world, expand from your neighborhood knowledge. So because I curate BIPOC voices, it's not only for those who want to relate to these books. It's also so you can step into another person's shoes. So you can learn more about a lifestyle you've never lived. Hear from voices that you, you're not accustomed to hearing in your neighborhood. So indie bookshops offer that. And at the forefront, most indie bookshops have their own niche. Mine is this, but every indie bookshop has their own type of person who runs it. And they're able to be that friend for you in the neighborhood to help you expand your knowledge, give you new book recs. And it's basically like a friend. Like it's a, it's a, your bookstore is your friend. It's one of the people that you go to the most to talk, to hang out and to really learn a lot. And I think that's the best thing about indie bookshops. And has that happened at your store where you have people coming in just to hang and talk with you and where it's become sort of a, a a hangout location, not just a pop in and grab a book location? Yes. So the, the thing about the shop is it's a lot of local businesses. So we have a lot of small business within it. So when they come in, there's, there's no way you can get around like, wow, this store has a lot of things in it. Like, I know this person made this. I know this person over here. I know this artist. So there's a lot of talking points. So it's always a conversation between books and then art and then all sorts of other things. So it has become that, especially, and I'm glad for children mm-hmm. to come in and just to sit down and read books. Which was a big important thing for me because some big sub, big book chains didn't always allow that because people would just come in and sit down and read all the books instead of yeah. purchasing. But I, I don't mind that. I want everyone to just come in and just relax. Um, so I really enjoy when kids are able to sit down and enjoy and read a new book or pick up one of the comic books and just read through it, flip through it, and then just go. Uh, tell me about your childhood reading experience. You said that your mom made you read a lot. Yes. Huge <laughs> reader. So <laughs> she, it was funny because, so we never lived. So the library is right now, the library in my original neighborhood, my hometown was not as great as it is now. Now it's beautiful. Now I mm-hmm. push people to go there too, because libraries are so important to the community also. And but back then it was not, it was very messy. It was very hard to get, find the book that you wanted. It was very small. It was just, it wasn't well-funded. Now it is, now it's perfect. Um, so back then, my mom used to take me to Barnes and Noble, but it was about thirty minutes away on a train. But yeah. we used to go almost every week, and we w- we would pick up books and we would read and read and read. Um, and this, this is a joke. I don't think it's true, but I in my memory, this is how it goes. She used to fall asleep a lot when she read me stories, and I picked it up and I just finished the story. I didn't like <laughs> not finishing a story every night, uh-huh. so I tell her that's how I learned how to read quicker because <laughs> he used to fall asleep <laughs> while reading. I had to finish the book. 
yeah, I've always been an avid, avid reader. That was my number one thing. Um, this is a funny memory. In first grade, I used to lie to, we used to have the art section in the back of the classroom and the books were there. So after the art section, I used to offer to my teacher, my first grade teacher, hey, I'll clean up the back for you. Don't worry about it. Don't you worry. I'll clean it up. Let everyone go back to their seats. And she said, okay, thank you so much. So she didn't have to do it. I cleaned up in like five seconds and just kept reading the books that were back. Did you always know you wanted to own a bookstore? No, I did not. At some point, I don't remember the day, but I was, I realized that nine to five jobs, I work in higher education. That's my day job at the time and now. So I still work in higher education and I run the shop. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I realized then I'm not going to do a nine to five for the rest of my life. I love books. I, I used to visit bookshops. I used to have this Instagram where I was showing all the bookshops in New York and it blew up and it was great. And it was, people were really loving it, but I knew that that wasn't my thing. I knew what I knew I needed to do something that I loved and could help people. And to me, what I can do was a bookshop. And that's why I opened it. And I was in 20, I had the idea in 2017 and then I opened in 2019. And that point, I just realized like, I can't do this anymore. And it was, it is because in college I had started working in higher education and I was already at like the eight year mark because I was working all through college. And I just realized at that point, oh no, I can't do this. There's no other job that would interest me more than being a bookshop owner. Hmm. And at the time we had zero stores in Queens. We had absolutely, we don't even have one bookstore. We didn't have one general bookstore. We had cafes that had a little book section and areas that had little book sections. But we at that in 2017, we had zero bookstores. And the big Barnes and Noble that I that my mom used to take me to closed down. So we had nothing. We had absolutely nothing in the area. Yeah. Now we have now we have three, including mine. They're all spread out to Big Borough, but they're all spread out. And we have free like free library programs where people bring in a free like donate books and you can get a free library. But Uh yeah. At that time, when I came up with the idea, we had the, we had zero. Your webpage says that um, Queens is the best borough. I'm from California, um, and I've been to New York several times. Love it, love it, love it. But I know very little about Queens. Uh, <sighs> tell me why it's the best borough. It's the best borough, and it also leads into my bookshop mentality and the reason why I opened it. It is the most diverse area in New York. And in a New York Times article, it's quoted, it is most likely the most diverse area on the planet. Whoa. Yeah. And this, yeah. So every, there's, I can't think of the number, but there's so many languages spoken there per foot. It's incredible. Like you'll hear a different language walking down one block and you'll hear at least five languages. So that's where I grew up, which has a hand in me not realizing that literature that I was getting wasn't as diverse as I wanted because everywhere, everywhere I looked, there was different cultures. There was different everything. This is how I grew up. So I never felt that, that I'm not being identified. It was everywhere. We have signs in, in different languages. We have people talking, the store owners talking different languages. It was just a way of life. for me, And yeah. that's why I feel like Queens is the best borough because you go there and you can literally eat food from every country, meet people from every country, feel like you're in a different area and you're still in Queens. It's incredible. And in my hometown where I grew up, it's called Jackson Heights. That's where I'm hoping to open up the second location and it'd be the flagship. It'd be like the bigger location of the store. Hopefully in six to in six months to a year, that's the manifestation. That's the goal is to have that one open in the center of my, where I grew up. So everyone there can have a bookstore. Do you want to keep the multiple businesses in one location? Would you keep that one there? That one I would keep there. Yes. That one I would yeah. keep in Astoria 
and have it be that because a story is a very small, it's a smaller community, but it's very, very big on small businesses and things like that. So I want to keep that one there, have everyone that I discover there. And then in this one be a place of new books and used books and have that be the location for authors coming in from different cultures, talking about their books and things like that. And then fill the wall with art from the local Jackson Heights area, especially Queens. Um, they're all BIPOC artists. Like that's one. That's 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 what that bookstore is going to be. And the reason why I want to make sure it's very big and make sure that it has used books is because economically, the area makes less than the story location. So I want to make sure everyone and every family can afford books if they want to build their own library at home. I'm I'm, I'm excited for it. I I've been building towards it. The name is ready to go. I'm I'm scoping out locations right now and. The way things are going, knock on wood, is it's looking pretty good. Do you know, it's so funny. After all these years of hearing about indie bookstores are disappearing, and, and I since I started this podcast, I keep meeting people like you who are just bootstrapping it and like, I'm not going to do it that way, the old way. I'm doing it my way. And, and they're just these absolutely incredible concepts. And it's so exciting. And I completely agree with that because when, so in 2017, when I came up with the idea and after all those years of research, I realized I cannot do this the way every other bookstore is done. I do not have the funds right now to open up a store. I do not mm-hmm. have everything I need to be able to open up a bookstore. So I started off very slow, just an online store and just promoted like crazy around the neighborhood, flyers and everything. Really like just, it's an online store, but it's real. I promise you'll get your book. <laughs> <laughs> Then I moved on to doing pop-ups. So I did pop-ups in all sorts of small businesses. I did pop-ups all over the place. I did a pop-up in a dog cafe once, which was amazing. It was just dogs everywhere and my books. And this, (laughs) yeah, so I went all over Queens, Manhattan, and I really started doing that. And then I finally became a member of the American Book Association. And then I opened up this location. It's been a, it's a slow burn, but I realized, and just like you said, a lot of people can't do it the old way. And that's part of the reason why a lot of them died out. And it's it's a good time to reinvent and do things. And people are amazing. It's an incredible time to see all these people opening up stores and opening up like these free libraries that I love. Oh, if I had that as a kid, that's amazing. To go to the corner and just get a book and then the neighborhood finishes a book and then you put that book back in. It's incredible. Whether they read a book a day or a book a year, I love asking people to tell me about their favorite books. And that includes you, dear listener. What's your all-time favorite? Your desert island classic? What about the childhood favorite that you still know by heart? The mystery that took you by surprise? The biography that changed your way of thinking? Or the book club favorite that you can't stop thinking about? I'm looking for guests from all walks of life to talk to me about all kinds of books here on the show. Go to my website, juliewroteabook.com, and click on the button that says, Be a Guest on the Best Book Ever. I'm really looking forward to talking to you. Now, back to the show. So, Adrian, do you remember um, the first time that you um, came across this book that we're talking about today, 100 Years of Solitude? I do. It was back to college. After I finished The Wondrous Life of Oscar Wilde, I realized I needed more Latinx books to read. So I went for this one completely. I knew it was like a classic. I, I researched it. I was like, it's a classic. Okay. 
magical realism. Hmm, that sounds funny. I didn't know what it meant at the time. And I said, okay, let me, let me do a deep dive on this book. And I was still in college. I was still doing those liter- that literature. And then I started doing hundreds of solitude. And that's how I discovered it. And I still remember it blowing my mind. And I was reading other books that were less boring. Cause I think I was an 18th century lit. Not to say that all those books are boring, but <laughs> it was tough. It was very tough to read those books while reading 100 Years of Solitude, but it completely blew my mind. How do you describe this book, for example, when you're selling it in your bookstore? It takes place in this in this small town, and it's called 100 Years of Solitude because it literally, it would literally span 100 years and a little bit more. I don't want to spoil it, but it does cover 100 <laughs> years. You follow a lot of characters, but you follow this one family and their growth and how they've affected, how their lives have been affected by each other. Um, you, you send generational things going on, a lot of cyclical things. Um, as in the title, you see this, this idea of solitude, isolation. And every character has their own deep dive, basically, into who they are as a person and what the ramifications are. It's a sprawling book. Um, and you really see growth. Not always the best growth, but it's an amazing story from start to finish. But it also touches upon like historical facts. So very real events that happened in, in Colombia, where it takes place, and in Latin America, very, very real things that happen are in that book, and they're just exaggerated. So it keeps your attention, and it will be things that you've never heard of before. But be prepared. It's a sprawling book. There is even a map in the beginning of the book that shows you all the characters. That's how many characters are in the book. <laughs> I always give that warning when I recommend it. <laughs> You know, what's interesting is um, I listened to it on audio this time around, and I had not read it since college. I think I mentioned that earlier to you. Um, and it is hard to listen to on audio. I was so confused. And then as I was getting prepared to talk to you, I came across that family tree. And I have to say, if you've never read this before, you have to have that family tree handy because... It's because everybody has the same name. Yes. Everyone has the same name or a similar name. I have not listened to audiobook. I have not listened to it. And I couldn't even imagine. You need that map there because then you remember, oh, this is the son of this one. This is the daughter of this one. Yeah. But it was an absolutely great telling. I will say um, it, it was beautiful to listen to. It was very, very well done. But it was just tough to keep track of. So I... My opinion is, and I don't know, I'd be interested to hear what you think, but if you are already familiar with the book, audio is a great way to go for a reread. But um, if you're a first timer, I'm not sure I would recommend it. It's kind of tough to keep keep track of everyone. Yeah, for a first time, I would recommend, this is one of the rare books that I would say, I mean, yeah, this is one of the rare books that I'd say, have a pen and highlighter yeah. hand. Yes. I know you're not studying. I know you're not studying, but the writing is incredible. So you'd want to highlight like your favorite quotes, but also just to keep track of everything. Put yeah. tabs in it, destroy this book. My copy is a wreck. My copy, <laughs> my personal copy is a mess. And yeah. I didn't do it for research purposes. It's just so I can follow the story, but it's well worth it when you do. Because like a movie, there's a lot of Easter eggs later on in the book from something that happened to the first, to the first person of the family. And you're at the great, great, great grandkids. But it's just yeah. so worth it to see that oh, what that person said is happening right now. So is this a book that you reread a lot? Yes, I did. At the time, I re- I've reread it at least three times. Since I opened the bookshop, 
I haven't been able to reread it, unfortunately. But now that I haven't actually thought about listening to it as an audiobook, so I think I might do that. Just because getting ready for this, I was I looked at my book and I saw everything. I was like, wow, I love this book. I really, I really, I really <laughs> love this book. I forgot my love for it because I've been reading so many other books. I'm like, man, this is still number one. But yeah, I think I'm going to reread it as an audiobook. Tell me, how does this book change for you as you've grown older? As a father now, I'm a father now. I have my own child. At the time, I was not even with a girl. <laughs> it's the idea of generational children and having the matriarch and the patriarch at the beginning and having your, your children have these wishes for them or hoping that they decide on the right thing. It, it changes the, the meaning of the book for me, especially because it's such a generational book. It's incredible to see, like as a father, looking back at it, like, wow, these people really looked at their generational line as a as a focal point like our great great grandfather did this or really in some cases i don't want to spoil anything but the lack of remembering or honoring the other family members is also an important thread in the book and to have that like wow are you going to leave a legacy after my child has a child and their child has a child their child like will anyone ever remember and i think it's just a very fascinating thing for me in that aspect as a father it's an interesting change for me now looking back at it. Cause back then I, it was just a book that was amazing to see a family grow and grow and grow and grow. But now that I have my own family, it changes the meaning for me. And I, I look at it differently. And I also can't wait to my daughter to read it. <laughs> when do you think you'll let her read it? She's four now. Oh, okay. Like, she's got, <laughs> she's got a, a couple of years to go and she's half Colombian. So I'm Ecuadorian. She's half Colombian. Her mother's Colombian. So I feel like, and her grandpa from the mother's side loves this book too. So she's going to get it from every side. How are you going to teach your daughter about this book in terms of the sexual politics that happen in this book? And and I totally understand that it is unfair for a white woman in 2021 to look at a, a Latino book from 1967 and go, that's not how you should treat women. I get that I am totally out of line saying that. That said, Reading it in 2021, there were several moments where I went, oh, I'm not entirely sure that sex was consensual. So I guess my Mm -hmm. question for you is like, how how do we treat books that are literary classics, but the, you know, the the sexual roles are different now? And, And how do you hand this book to new readers? And how will you hand this book to your daughter? And explain that. You know what I'm saying? Oh, no. Absolutely. And I don't think you're out of line at all, because I think that would make any everyone, including myself, it, it, it makes you take a step back, like, wait a minute. And a lot of books do that. And, in, and especially classics, classics, you can already yeah. go very quickly. This is you can't say this anymore. And I think a lot of the things that he says, you can't really write anymore. And it's, it makes I think it's meant to make you uncomfortable. How I would explain it to someone is, especially my daughter, specifically, especially with all these very important sexual politics that go on. This is exactly how it was, you know, and I'm hoping that the things that I, I, that I teach her, me and her mother teach her until she reads it, she'll know automatically like this is not okay. This is not a thing that is normal. This is very wrong. Um, and it's not allowed. And Gabriel Garcia Marquez, he says a lot of those stories that he, that are revolved in there are stories from his mom. So they weren't even a lot from around his time. Like he didn't grow up seeing this. 
he says that many of those stories, even the magical or the exaggerated ones, like the butterflies come raining down from the sky, he says those are all stories that his mother swore were true. Like these are fairy tales that his mom basically told him and he put them back in his book. So even in his time, he even knew that it was kind of wrong, but there were just stories that he put in. But I think it's important to note how, especially how far removed she is. She was born here. You know, she was born in New York. She's raised in New York. Understand that this book, even though it's magical realism, the realism part is very, it happens. Like a lot of these things do happen. A lot of things may still happen in this world and it's very unfortunate. But he was writing it from a place where he talked about war. He talked about things that a lot of people didn't know, like the banana, the United Banana Company. Mm -hmm. These are very real things that happen that aren't really spoken about, especially in school, especially when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. So it was a it was a wonder to learn for, for me. And it won't sugarcoat anything. It won't sugarcoat history. It'll exaggerate a lot of things, but he doesn't sugarcoat. And I think it's important for her to understand or at least any reader to understand that. This is not the right way to do things. And he doesn't say this is the right way to do things. If anything, I don't want to spoil anything, but there are consequences to every action in this book. There, If you read the book, there is literally not one character here gets happy. If you really look at it and you look at every, at the end point of every character, not one character actually has a happy ending. Mm -hmm. And I think that goes in part, and I don't know if that's a spoiler or not, but I think in part that's because of all these things that happen, not only generational curses, but also these individual decisions that these individuals made. That's kind of like the karma that they got. Yeah. And I, I think part of my resistance to criticizing it is in my education, if there was if I was reading, I don't know, Charles Dickens and there was something I didn't like, who cares? I can dislike it. I can name a hundred British male authors. I think because of what you're saying earlier, we have so little exposure to writers of color in a traditional American education system that it, it makes me personally go, oh, you, you can't dislike this book. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very different world. It's just so different. Yeah. And, I, and by the time that she's of age to read this, things will be even more, for, hopefully, further progressed in every aspect of the world. So it'll even yeah. sound to her even more like detached from her reality. Like, how is this a, an amazing book? How is this a classic? Mm -hmm. And I get that. I understand that. Um, and then I will have this discussion with her <laughs> about how important of a book it is. Yeah. 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 And it's such an important discussion. And I think another really important part of the discussion is the fact that this is the only Colombian author I can name. That's the real problem right there. So much more. And uh, uh, yep, I know. Yeah. He was yeah. my first Colombian author, too. He has not been my last. And there's many more authors from all over the region that write horror, science fiction, more magical realism. Mm -hmm. He wasn't the inventor of magical realism. There was in the in the Narcos show in Netflix. It did yeah. say that he was the inventor of it. He wasn't. He wasn't the inventor. Of it. So I'm going to argue that he perfected it because it was such a great book. I was saying earlier that I saw that he was that this book specifically is on many, many best books ever written list is it do you consider it not only your personal favorite but do you also feel that it's the best book ever written um yes i personally do feel that it is one of the best books ever written because of how he was able to wrangle all these different themes all these different characters in his mind and put it down to paper and make it make 
kind of sense if you really break down the book. It takes mm-hmm. some readings and it takes a lot of rereads of the paper, of the pages and the words, the way someone can wrangle it. And it's not a thick, thick book. There's thicker books out there that have less story, have less plot in it. The way he was able to wrangle it, put it in this very readable size book and not even miss a beat. Every page has something that you can quote off. Every page has a description yeah. that is beautiful. And for anyone who listens and is a Spanish reader, I recommend reading it in Spanish. The translation is beautiful. The translation is wonderful. I read it first in English, but the, the in his own words, it's beautiful. It's incredible. It's so I've never, I English is my first language and then I learned Spanish because my mom was born here also. So that was the way we spoke. But I've never seen words written in Spanish that way. The way he's able to use words in sentences baffles me in Spanish. It's just baffling to me. So to me, I think it's the best, not only the best book written in Span- in English, but it's also in Spanish. And I kept thinking as I was listening to it, I, I'm not going to be able to describe this right, but structurally, we kept going in a circle and coming back to the same spot. And then the circle kept getting bigger. And as I was listening, I kept thinking like, there's some sort of circular structure going on in this family and in this book that is almost mathematically complex. And I, I'm not smart enough to put it into words, but you can sense it the way we, oh, we're back at this point again. And then it got wider and we're back at this point again. And it was wild to be hearing it. And, you know, it was almost a physical sensation of we turned around, but now we're here again. It's, it's really astonishing. The Yes. No, I completely understand. And you're right. And though what I feel like I, I feel like you explained it perfectly. The cyclical nature of every single aspect of the characters and their lives, the town and everything that goes on, it definitely starts from this point and it spirals. And you just see it go right back to the starting point, right back over here. And then all those Easter eggs come back. And then the hurricane is what knocked them out. And I haven't read anything about this, but I think that was his plan from the beginning. Um, Have you read other Marquez books? Yes. So... From that jumping point, I said, oh, I need to read every other book. And usually when I recommend, when I usually recommend his books, I will tell people that come into my shop, start off with the smaller, his small stories. He has a lot of short stories. Okay. And they're very, very, very short. I would say start off with those. Like Leaf Storm or Death of a Colonel or Death Foretold. They're very small books. But if you like those books, you'll love Andrew's house. Because... That gives you a glimpse. And I don't remember the, like, the years of which he wrote these books. I don't remember what, if 100 Years of Solitude were before or after these books. But those elements that he has in 100 Years of Solitude are in these books, just in smaller forms. But then he perfected it in 100 Years of Solitude. And also, another fun fact is that a lot of those short stories have characters and, some, and mention the town of 100 Years of Solitude. I actually have a new book coming. And it's the one I want to read next when I, ha- when I get it. I think it's coming on Thursday. I ordered it for the shop, but I'm going to steal it. I'm, it's going to be mine. It's a book from his son about like growing up with his dad and seeing him and his mom. And it's, a, it's, a, like, a, it's like a love letter to his dad and his mom raising him. Because while he, Gabriel Garcia Marquez was in the zone writing Hundreds of Solitude, the mom took care of everything. Imagine what story time was like in that house. <laughs> the stories they heard that we never even got to. Like he could yeah. test it out with them. My understanding from talking to bookshop owners on this podcast is that once you own a bookshop, you have to spend a whole lot of time skimming a whole lot of books 
before putting them on your shelves. But um, when you have the time to actually read just not for the shop, but for your own pleasure, what are you reading these days and enjoying on your own time? So, yes, when I really when I opened the shop, I realized I needed to not only read a lot more books, I couldn't just <laughs> supply people with books that I read. Like yeah. people don't want to just people have different tastes than me. A lot of people read nonfiction, and I wasn't a big nonfiction person. Like yeah. I'm so far removed from nonfiction, I was reading magical realism where people just flew out of <laughs> the roofs of their houses. <laughs> But I realized a lot of people love nonfiction, so I had to start reading more nonfiction. And nowadays, what I do is when I'm not when I'm reading personally, I read audiobooks. Like I was very bougie. I was very against audiobooks. I'm not gonna lie. I wasn't against ebooks. I've never been against ebooks. I thought that was very handy, especially in college. But audiobooks, I said I could never. But because time, child, and all these, it's all audiobooks. When I'm driving, when I'm walking my dog, when I'm at when I'm at work or doing like clerical things or just doing anything that doesn't involve me reading it's always audiobook i always have an audiobook on. what i'm reading right now i think i keep forgetting the name but i think it's called the blackest teeth and it's a it's from i believe she's korean and it's a horror novel and the cover is absolutely scary please look up the the the, <laughs> the image later and you will okay absolutely be frightened it's nothing but blackened teeth by, oh, by okay. cassandra call uh, now i'm scared to look <laughs> Oh, I see. Nothing but blackened teeth. Yeah. Oh, my God. No, absolutely not. (laughs) That's a hard pass. (laughs) From the cover, I know I had to read it because this, if I, if this ever becomes a movie, a show or whatever, I can't watch it. I know I can't, but I can read. (laughs) And it's incredible. Well, well done on that cover, <laughs> and I applaud all writers, but I will be skipping that one. Thank you very much. <laughs> but I know I have some hardcore horror listeners, and I'm sure just by my shocked reaction, they're going to be like, one click, order that one. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the only reason why I started reading more horror, because people kept saying, hey, I want to, you have any other horror wrecks? And I go, oh, no. All right, let me get into it. And I started reading more horror. Oh. Do it for the, Do it for the community. Do it for the people. I'll sacrifice myself. (laughs) Okay. Good for you. Not for me. (laughs) Well, Adrian, this has been so much fun talking to you. Will you tell my listeners all the places they can find you, including we were talking about TikTok earlier, which you have a good TikTok presence. I, I surprisingly and thankfully I do. So yes, um, Golden Lab Bookshop, it's located in Astoria, Queens. Um, and you can find our website is also goldenlabbookshop.com. Very easy. And we break it down very similarly that we do to the store. Um, and on TikTok, on Instagram, it's also Golden Lab Bookshop. But on TikTok, I have a very embarrassing name. <laughs> it's called <laughs> Book Poppy. Book Poppy. Book P-A-P-I. P-A-P-I. Okay. And the reason why is because I wanted it to be more of a community area. Like more like we're just discussing. I didn't want them to feel like it's a bookstore trying to just sell books to them. Like I wanted okay. it to feel like a community. So I came up with a funny name and then I got a lot of followers and more and more and more. And I was like, okay, I can't change it now. <laughs> <laughs> so yes. And then on TikTok, it's different than the Instagram and everywhere else. Cause it's more videos of just book recommendations. People ask me for recs and I give them recs. Um, I do highlights of the new BIPOC releases because I feel oh, like a lot more people need those. So I very specifically go this week. These are the new BIPOC releases for children, adults, and, and whatever genre. Um, and I don't do reviews. I just recommend. 
So if, my rec- if I'm recommending it, that's a, that's my review. I really like this book, so I recommend it. I want to thank you for joining me today. This has really been so fun talking to you, and I cannot wait for the chance to come visit your bookstore. Please, and thank you so much. This is actually my first podcast. Is it really? I feel like it's like the best name podcast, too. I love the name of the podcast. <laughs> and I just want to thank you so much for, one, the opportunity, and two, this is a great conversation. I love these type of conversations. I do, Thank too. You so and you have an open invitation. Please come back anytime you have a book you want to talk to me about. Obviously, it will have to be the second best book ever because we have established <laughs> that 100 Years of Solitude wins, right? Absolutely. In my mind, in my story, yes. <laughs> Thanks for listening, bookworms. For more information on this episode and links to all the books we discussed, go to our website, bestbookeverpodcast.com. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram at bestbookeverpodcast. I'm your host, Julie Strauss, and you can find me everywhere as Julie wrote a book. If you loved this episode as much as I loved making it, why not leave a review wherever you're listening? Each review helps new listeners find my work, and I'm so grateful for your help. Thanks for joining me today, and I will see you at the library.